Hello, and welcome to episode 227 of Smarts, which as we all know stands for... Superman makes announcements reverberating through society. Ooh, very good. My name is Rudiger Q Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor, and your name is... Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, dash podcaster. Correct. So we are both under the weather this week, so forgive any hoarseness and or coughing that And extra sultriness in our voices. Smoky voices. Coming at you. Smooth, smooth stylings of smarts. Now we're coming up on 7 p.m. It's time for the... Smooth stylings of... All right. <laughs> so we have some news this week. Ooh. So we uh, they have the they announced the cast for the next animated movie. So Superman Red Sun just came out. And we knew the next one after that was going to be Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. Hmm. Um, we could infer certain things based on the title, uh, but we didn't really know much about it. Um, they've revealed that the plot is basically going to be, so you, you recall at the end of the, um, last, I, I mean, I guess Superman showed up in the Batman Hush movie, but at the end of the two part death of Superman movie thing, um, Darkseid got involved and it ended with the Justice League. Once Superman had, had come back, the Justice League basically resolving to deal with this dark side problem once and for all. And then Lex Luthor showed up and basically appointed himself a member of the team. Oh, yes. So why this is going to be a Justice League dark movie, I'm not sure. But in this movie, basically all the heroes are going to get together and go fight dark side. So we're going to get the Justice League dark, which we saw in their own movie. Mm-hmm. You know, Constantine, Swamp Thing, Dead Man, Etrigan, a few others, Zatanna. Mm-hmm. All the Justice League characters that we've seen in that movie and some of the Teen Titans characters even. Like I know Raven's going to be in this. That's awesome. <clears throat> so the cast is basically everybody you would expect. Matt Ryan is Constantine. Jerry O'Connell is Superman. Jason O'Mara is Batman. All the way down, you know, Rosario Dawson is Wonder Woman. All the, all the people you would expect. Um, basically everybody coming back from the previous movies. Uh, Rain Wilson is Lex Luthor. Rebecca Romain is Lois Lane. Um, so there aren't really any surprises in the cast. Um, I think they said who's going to... Oh, I think Tony Todd is voicing Darkseid. Oh, that's awesome. I think awesome. he's played him maybe once before, I but I could be wrong. Has, yeah. No, um, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm remembering that too. So, yeah. So that's basically the cast. And then, so I don't know why they're calling this a Justice League Dark movie unless... I mean, they could put the spotlight on those characters, I guess. But mm-hmm. this really seem, feels like it wants to be just a Justice League movie or like a DC Universe movie, however yeah. you would want to brand that. Like it's the whole... It's not... Maybe be, they had naming issues. No, I think, I mean, they they, they wanted to... Justice League Dark Side was a little Well, too... they wanted to do a sequel to Justice League Dark, but I don't know why you would have that be the big battle with Dark Side that they've been building to for several movies. Why not just t- tell a, a just a smaller supernatural story with Justice League Dark and then have the next Justice League movie be right be this? So I don't know. I, I, so I'm assuming those characters are going to be somehow the focus of this. Maybe they'll have to... Maybe their plan to take down Dark Side will somehow involve the supernatural versus just going there and punching him a lot, which is usually what they try, right? right? But we'll have to see. So that's exciting. So that comes out in a few months. Yeah. They showed the first image from it, and it's just basically all the heroes with Constantine standing there in the front. Um, so we uh, we talked last week about how there's going to be another season of Harley Quinn, about how this yes. first 13 isn't just going to be it. There's going to be um, at least 13 more that they got picked up for 26 when they got the initial pickup. Um, but what was revealed this week is that we're going to be getting season two uh, far faster than we expected. It's going mm. to premiere on April 3rd. Oh so my only five or six weeks from now. Yay. So basically the, um, I don't think we've talked about it on the show, but that tabletop role-playing reality show basically mm-hmm. um, 
is going to debut on Friday, this Friday, taking the, you know, the quote-unquote time slot, the day slot that, that all these shows take, mm-hmm. now that Harley Quinn is over, it's going to run for five weeks, and then Harley Quinn will come back. And then presumably after Harley Quinn runs another few months, Stargirl will start after that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so it's coming back, and they announced some new cast members. Apparently, um, who was, geez, now I'm forgetting, uh, was it Mr. Freeze? It's a couple couple of new Batman villains, Catwoman and I think Mr. Freeze are mm-hmm. going to be joining the show. And Alfred Molina is going to be playing Mr. Freeze. Oh, cool. I didn't recognize the, the name of the actress that's playing Catwoman. I think it's Mr. Freeze. He's going to be playing a new a new villain on the show, and I'm almost certain it was Mr. Freeze. Uh, yeah, so we have that to look forward to on April 3rd. I think they probably have all twenty they probably have all twenty-six done and they just want to take right, a bit of a break in so the that middle. It feels and, more yeah. like a season, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the big news this week was that, and this came out of nowhere, I just suddenly reported that Dan DiDio is no longer with DC. So did this happen <laughs> did this happen months ago or yeah. did it just happen now? Uh, it seems like it kind of happened suddenly because I just saw today that they've had to cancel the Meet the Publishers panel at the at C2E2, which is oh, like, wow. it's a big convention in Chicago. Um, I mean, I guess Jim Lee could have done it by himself yeah. unless they're going to appoint another co-publisher. Um, but yeah, this comes as a surprise. So I was trying to think, how long has he been with DC? Because I remember it's only been about nine or ten years since he became um, co-publisher. But he was with the company in like a senior management role for a good number of years before that. And I think it was like 2003 or something like that. Because mm-hmm. I remember Infinite Crisis um, was like the first big crossover that he that happened under his stewardship and that was i think 2005 to mark the the 20th anniversary of the original crisis yeah um i remember he was involved in that because i remember specifically he was pushing to have nightwing die in that and jeff johns who was writing it wouldn't wouldn't do it so they had to rewrite change the plans at the last minute yeah uh, so i knew he'd been around for at least a couple of years prior to that so yeah it was around 2003 so the bulk of 20 years mm-hmm. the, the majority i guess you could say the majority of the time i've been reading dc comics they've been under the leadership of dan didio and, you know, he's been a controversial figure at times because the New 52 was his big idea. And mm-hmm. that kind of, depending on how you look at it, ended up being perhaps not not such a great idea. And they ended up rolling much of it back. Um, and then <clears throat> this whole new well, timeline then, thing. Well, yeah. So, I mean, that's the, that's the thing. So there's, there's a number of questions. Um, is Jim Lee going to now be the sole publisher? Are they going to appoint a new co-publisher? Are they going to completely... Uh, revamp the management structure. I mean, if Jeff Johns hadn't just, like in the past year, stepped down from a management position to focus on writing and producing again, yeah, I would say that he would be the natural replacement. You know, if you're looking for someone more of like a a, a big picture slash writer perspective to go with Jim Lee's more artistic perspective, Jeff Johns would be perfect. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could look at other people, you know, if Mark Wade wasn't sort of out of uh, on the outs with the company, he'd be a good pick. Someone like Peter Tomasi, who's one of their best writers right now, but was an editor for years and years before he started writing for the company, might be another good pick. Mm-hmm. Or is Jim Lee just going to continue to do it himself? So that's one question. Another question is, um, I mean, was he did he quit or was he fired? Mm-hmm. This certainly, I mean, this wasn't handled in a very smooth way because it's sort of like it was reported. It wasn't like you feel like if, if you're going to, if this is all happening in a planned manner amicably, you get out in front of it, you have a press conference or you release a, you do a press release where everybody is there and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm moving on to, you know, do this other thing or I want to spend more time with my family or whatever. And then, you know, here is my handpicked successor and we've got this clear thing. Instead, it's like, oh, he's out. Nobody knows what's going on. So it seems like it happened fast. Either mm-hmm. he was fired 
on spur of the moment or he quit on spur of the moment. It seems like either way it was fast. But depending on whose idea it was, it does kind of raise some issues because, you know, this new timeline thing, he's certainly been, it's from all appearances, that's that's been sort of his brainchild. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's possible that that was just for show. It was somebody else's brainchild and he was just because he was the face of the company, he was pushing it. But if it was his idea... Does that mean now that they're going to like pull back on that? Like they, we just talked last week, they solicited all these specials that are going to roll out this new timeline. If it was his idea, was he fired because the company decided that it was too ambitious or did he quit because, you know? Yeah, because, I know. I'm, like, I'm, so I it, think it, does, it does even... raise doubt about all that. I kind of want, there's been no official statement. The None. closest we've had to any sort of statement. It does feel sudden. Maybe did... something happened, like something more on a, like a human resources. I don't want to start rumors because, you know, I'm sure there will be plenty floating around. But what if something like different happened? What if there was an interpersonal argument? Because he's been known for being hot-blooded about certain things. But what if what if something blew up and it was just not a good scene and so he had to leave? Because I don't know. He didn't handle himself very I mean, the, well. The, well. Who knows? I don't know. The only the only statement I've seen on the matter was that Dan DiDio said something like on social media or something, basically thanking people. Because as soon as he was fired, a lot of a lot of creators, like pretty much everybody, yeah. we we read and enjoy, was was on Twitter saying that you know I wouldn't be working for D- DC if Dan DiDio hadn't yeah. approached me, or I wouldn't have gotten to do this cool project if Dan DiDio hadn't. You know, had, yeah. hadn't greenlit it or and fought for me. it or yeah. fought for it or whatever. So, I mean, I, I, he's controversial. I he's controversial among the fans because a lot of because he's been behind a lot of initiatives that sort of rub fans the wrong way. But you, by in, in equal measure, you can say that all the good stuff that's happened over the past twenty years of the company was under his watch too. So you you kind of have to take the the good with the bad. And certainly, like all the people that are at DC right now that we enjoy probably wouldn't be there if it wasn't for him. And you could point to people that were at DC and aren't any longer yeah. that maybe people that would still be there like say Mark Wade maybe you know yeah. Grant Morrison and Greg Rucka might be doing more for the company right now if he hadn't you know sort of like pulled the rug out from under them on 52 a little bit or like you could go back and, and you could you could point at a lot of fingers in a lot of different ways but um, so yeah you know there's an, an any 20 year tenure in a major publishing company there's going to be there's going to be wins and losses there's going to be hits and misses so I don't know it's it's I we, and we we have so little visibility into something like this. I know it's like all the people that like you know that that are mad at Kathleen Kennedy for the quote unquote the state of Star Wars right now because they didn't like the Rise of Skywalker and they right. they had a lot of behind the scenes director firings for some of the other movies and so on. But it's impossible to say exactly what factors are involved in all that. So it's you know and it's too early to say what they're gonna, what they're going to do afterwards. So but I think that if I think that just based on the the support that I've seen from other creators on Twitter, it seems like the people that actually knew him and worked with him, like nobody doubts his passion for the characters or his commitment to putting out good stories. Like everything he's done is because he thought that it would um, either be a, either be a a really good story or would um, and, or would allow their characters to reach a broader audience. The whole point of the new 52, much like, you know, crisis 30 years earlier was to simplify and streamline the universe for new readers. And when the new 52 came out, sales went through the roof mm-hmm. for all titles. Even titles like Animal Man is selling for like yeah. six yeah. figures right now. But but there's people were so excited about the new 52. But then, unfortunately, the execution wasn't done terribly well because it was sort of rushed and not fully thought out. And some of the creative teams were ill-advised. And so a lot of that goodwill only lasted 
a short period of time. And now you could look back and probably count on one hand the number of like actually classic runs that came out of that. You know, the Azarello Chang Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. most of what Jeff Johns did, especially on Aquaman, um, Scott Snyder's Swamp Thing run, Jeff Lemire's Animal Man run, and maybe one or two others. Um, and pretty much, and there were a couple of like other cult classics in there, like I Vampire and stuff like that. But pretty much everything else just felt like like mediocre, just mm-hmm. like l- like less exciting when it was supposed when they were supposed to be more exciting and new. It just mm-hmm. felt like all the all the exciting stuff had been stripped away, and we were just left with these bland versions of most characters. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, so that was sort of you know you could take take. Take, it, take it or leave it. Yeah. But I don't know. So it's. You know, there's probably going to be a lot said over the coming months and years about about this, and there's going to be, you know, probably be books written about it and everything too. Mm-hmm. But it remains to be seen. I, I'm I'm curious now what this what this means for the new direction that that the everything was timeline, yeah. looking to go in. Um, I think that they're committed to it now. I think that I think that everything we've been talking about is going to happen. The most that you could maybe say is that they're maybe they have some sort of contingency plan. Where if after like a year into this thing, people don't like it, yeah. um, they might roll it back. Whereas if DiDio were still in charge, he might stick stick with it like they did with the New 52 for yeah, like six, yeah. seven years yeah. uh, before deciding to roll some of that stuff back. So yeah. So who knows? I mean, but it'll be interesting to see. It, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, we've been, we've been wanting, scratching our heads about this new timeline. It's like, it seems interesting and ambitious, but how is it going to work in practice? Right, yeah. Uh, I'm sure they had answers behind those scenes to all those questions, and we're going to get to see them. But if people don't like it, I think that I think that that's I think that that's the one takeaway here is that if if it's not well received, I think we're going to see it dialed back. I mean, nothing lasts forever in these comics right, anyway. Yeah, yeah, things that aren't universally acclaimed end up getting rolled back to the more safe version after a few months or years anyway. So if this isn't met with universal acclaim, then I'm not sure how long it'll stick, but we'll see. I, I know that it was it was definitely his intention. Like he was saying, like, yeah, this is our new official timeline. It's not going anywhere and every story that comes out for the you know, in the future is going to adhere to this timeline. But I wonder it'll be interesting to see once people start talking about it, giving statements about it in the future, if maybe that language is dialed back a little bit, we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it I don't know, it's too bad. I mean, I, I any any Tenure, like I say, tenure with the company is going to have good times and bad times. But I think that if you know anyone who anyone who works for DC and is passionate about telling good stories, I mean, he's not. He didn't have to like. He's writing the Metal Men series. That's the other question. Is the Metal Men series we're reading right now oh, is written yeah. by him. Is that going to last another six issues if he's out at the company? Will he continue? Will he finish? Not that I'm, you know, not that I have a huge amount of emotional investment in the current Metal Men series, but it'll be interesting to see whether that continues or whether they cancel it or something because i don't right. know um but nobody forced him like when they did the new 52 he he wrote a couple of the series he wrote you know he wrote omac and now he's writing metal man and he did uh, some challengers stuff i think like nobody forced him to do that yeah like he, he but he he's passionate about these characters and he wanted to you know put them in front of a broader audience and that's admirable so i don't know i i despite the fact that some of his initiatives i wasn't crazy about at the beginning you know they all led to good stories here and there and and in some cases more good stories than bad in other cases the opposite but you know yeah. i can't i can't get to 
I don't get too riled up about these things. He's he seemed like his heart was in the right place and he had a lot of a lot of good things happened under him. So I think in the end I've got good feelings about his tenure. I mean, you've never you've gone back and read some older comics like, you know, some old JLA comics or mm-hmm. whatever and you've read Kingdom Come and a handful of other things, but like 99.9% of the comics you read have been under his tenure. So yeah. you you know, and you've seen you've experienced a lot of other DC stories from other media that yeah. he didn't have anything to do with, like the movies and TV shows and so on. So it's not like your entire not like you view the entire DC universe solely through a Dandadio lens. Yeah. But your experience with comics are basically like and I remember to comics obviously before him, like all the comics I read in the eighties and nineties. You know, the company did have a different feel back then. So I can I can see the differences. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see where they go forward from here. And it's, yeah. Yeah. So we'll it was to, a surprise. We'll yeah, have to wait that, and see. That's for sure. Uh, so a little bit of interesting Star Wars news. So they've been teasing uh, off and on this mysterious project called Project Luminous, which is apparently going to be this uh, transmedia initiative of some sort that would involve books comics other Mm -hmm. aspects of the publishing line potentially even movies and tv down the line but they you know didn't want to commit to that and all they would do is reveal the names of some of the people that would be involved and there were some prominent star wars related novelists and comic book writers like charles Soule, claudia gray and a few others Um, they had a press event a couple of days ago to unveil what this is so as all the rumors and speculation suggested they're pretty much right on the money so that this is a new i guess you'd call it like a sub brand under star wars called the high republic yep so this is basically now that the skywalker saga is over and all the stories that and you know all the stories so far that we've had especially under this new disney umbrella have all been like in and around the skywalker saga right Mm -hmm. clone wars which predated the sale to disney but still it's you know now under the disney umbrella took place between episodes two and three. Mm-hmm. Rebels, between episodes three and four. Resistance, between episodes seven and eight and eight and nine. All the comics that, have, that have, I've been reading have taken place in between the prequels and the original trilogy or in between the original trilogy movies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, sometimes I'll have like, oh, here's a book about what Thrawn was like when he was young. But even that was sort of like prequel era-ish, you know? And all the a lot of the fans have been saying, you know, what they miss about the old um, expanded universe was how broad it was. Like you'd have stories that took place thousands of years ago in the old Republic, and stories that took place hundreds of years after the movies, with like Luke's far flung descendants, or or stories that didn't have anything to do with the Skywalkers, or stories that were just about the bounty hunters. And mm-hmm. you know, we're getting some of that now with things like the Mandalorian, but even that is still in the timeline of the movies. It's a few years after the Battle of Endor. So this High Republic brand is going to be a series of interconnected stories that are going to be told across um, mainstream novels, Mm -hmm. young adult and young reader novels, uh, mainstream Marvel comics, uh, younger audience comics from IDW with potentially, depending on how popular it ends up being, the potential for like TV and movies potentially down the line. Mm -hmm. All these stories are going to take place during what's called the High Republic era, which is unlike the sort of decadent crumbling republic of the prequels. Yep is going to be like the peak of of prosperity and peace, right? So mm. 200 years before the Skywalker saga, which okay. is not as far back as I would think that you would have to go for something like that, given that the Jedi were the guardians of peace and justice in the, in the Old Republic for a thousand generations, yeah. right? So 20,000 years, yeah. right? I guess <laughs> the, they peaked late, right? It took them, yeah. them 24,800 years to get to the good stuff or whatever. <laughs> uh, but 200 years ago, this High Republic era... Um, what they what they say is that unlike the sort of bureaucratic 
um, meeting-heavy, more violent, almost warmongering Jedi Council of the prequels. To, okay. For an uncharitable, you know. Yeah, that's, the a, whole that's point, a summary. Well, the whole point of the, and not to get too far into this, but but what George Lucas was trying to say in a somewhat like fumbling way with the prequels is that the Jedi had kind of lost their way, right? And you see yeah. this reflected in some that's of the other true. stories, yeah. right? Is mm-hmm. that they were just, they were so concerned with rules and protocols and no, you can't be trained because you're like a little bit too old. And now we've got to, even though they're supposed to be the guardians of peace, they became generals and fought in a war. Now they were mm-hmm. manipulated into doing that by Palpatine, yada, 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 but they had sort of lost their way. And the whole point is that, you know, all that had to be gone for Luke and then Ray and so on to sort of <clears throat> start anew. Mm-hmm. But, 200 years ago, all that wasn't true. And so they're saying this is kind of, they're going to be kind of like the Jedi Knights of the Round Table is Mm -hmm. what they're saying. This is going to be when we were growing up after having watched the original trilogy and we were like, we would imagine what the Jedi were like in their prime. This is going to be like what we were imagining where they're, they're honest and true and they do the right thing and they're, you know, they're honorable and there, there's going to be some that are, so there's, there's going to be a lot of elements here. We're going to meet a lot of new characters, a lot of new Jedi. There's going to be this interesting new threat called the Nile, which is supposedly like kind of like space Vikings, basically, but it's not going to be like the Sith or the Dark Jedi. It's not, you know, it's not going to be the same kind of threat we've seen before. It's going to be this interesting new race or this group of races, this sort of like alliance, basically. Um, but there's going to be, the galaxy is going to have more of like a frontier feel to it. Like a lot a lot of the galaxy is still unexplored. A lot of the hyperspace lanes that used for travel in the era of the movies are still unexplored or unmapped so the thing will ha- stuff will have more of like an old west feel to it the jedi will be kind of like um especially out on the the fringes are going to be more like old west sheriffs um and there's going to yeah. be this new race of like i guess you can kind of look at it maybe like the the reavers from battle yes. from uh from firefly, firefly yeah you know just kind of like this this crazy alien marauder force coming mm-hmm. from out of, of coming from out in the dark where nobody's explored before you know right and assaulting this sort of peaceful society which is you know not decadent but perhaps you know a little complacent and we're going to meet all these new jedi heroes and there's going to be a, a mainline marvel comic series and a main movie a, a movie a book from charles soul i think it's called the light of the jedi that's going to sort of like set the stage for all this and introduce it if you want to get the whole story then you've got to read you know all these different books and all these different comics i'll probably just read the Marvel comics, which is all I really read, but I'll get summaries of the other stuff from YouTube and, and so on. But this is going to be this new playground. And and the way they did it was smart, where they had all these writers, mm-hmm. as well as uh, artists, character designers, the Lucasfilm Story Group, they all sat down in a room at Skywalker Ranch like a couple of years ago and plotted all this out. And they said, okay, they, they had a whiteboard. And like, okay, what do we love about Star Wars? And they put mm-hmm. up all these things up there. And like, okay. If we were to give you guys this complete new playground with no baggage, no existing characters or whatever, create what you guys think would be like your ideal Star Wars story mm-hmm. collaboratively. And so they all got together and they're they're almost treating this like like a, like a, a new movie franchise, but without the movies. Like mm-hmm. they had some of the character designers and artists who worked on designs for the movies there, designing characters and architecture and so on as if this was going to be a movie, but it's not. It's just going to be books and comics right mm-hmm. but they're treating it almost as if you know what i mean like when a new when a new star wars movie comes out there's tie-in comics and tie-in books and all this other stuff it's like that except without a movie at the center of it yeah. so the main story gets to happen and all this stuff but they're treating it with all the the coordination and and background design and everything mm-hmm. else that, that would go into one of the main movies mm-hmm. you know and they've been planning this and doing it in a coordinated fashion so i don't know how much of this you'll be exposed to unless 
it ends up they end up doing a a cartoon or a movie of it. Mm-hmm. But it's it, I think it's smart because like I say, a lot of the criticism of this modern era of Star Wars is that it's all just focused around the same characters in the same thirty or forty year time span, and made the galaxy feel kind of small. And that's yeah, one of the reasons why people enjoy the Mandalorian so much is because it's not focused on any existing characters yep. but even then they go to planets you recognize every few episodes and there's alien races you recognize and it's in a time period where they get to talk right. about the, setting the is rebellion clearly... and the empire right. and stormtroopers are there and you know it's not that different mm-hmm. but you go back hundreds of years ago where you know the clothes are different the politics are different the things feel completely different the technology is less advanced mm-hmm. there's threats that you'd never heard of before and and Right. All these new characters, and it's going to be this completely new vista for them to tell stories. So I, th- I think it's, I think it's a smart thing for them to do. I'm just, I, I bet that though they've got, because we still have a lot of questions. Like we know that there were going, there's apparently Ryan Johnson is still on board to oversee some new movie trilogy. Although you know we've talked about how they de- really scale back their plans for movies and have not going to do any movies for a few years to sort of let the franchise rest for a bit. Yep. Um, so this is potentially a way to, to bridge that gap, have an exciting new thing happening in Star Wars without right. a new movie, aside from what's happening, aside from, you know, the new Disney Plus series. But it wouldn't surprise me if uh, when in a, a couple of years or whenever, maybe even less than a year now, when they announce what that Ryan Johnson trilogy is going to be, if it is around the same era. Like, is this going to be the new main Star Wars era where the majority of stories we're going to see over the next 10 years yeah. are set? Yeah. Except this time it's publishing leading the way and not mm-hmm. the movie people. So that would be interesting. Or the Ryan Johnson thing could be a thousand years in the future. Who knows? But, right. but there's still a lot of things that they say they're going to do with the movies. There are rumors now, then there's the like, oh, Kevin Feige is going to produce a Star Wars movie. Taika Waititi is going to direct a Star Wars movie. Like all this stuff is swirling around. We don't know what any of these are going to be. It wouldn't surprise me if some of it ended up being tied to this. Right. But for now, it's just going to be mostly in, in publishing. But it seems it seems cool. Like it, it's a cool setting. It's a cool idea. The people that are working on it are good. And I think that it's smart to carve out a little niche Mm-hmm. Here that doesn't have to dance between like, oh, wait, where was we already said where Darth, Darth Vader was that year. So we can't tell a story. You know what I mean? Like, right. no, just complete wide open blue skies. Just tell whatever you want, you know? That's awesome. So I think it's smart. Yeah. So what was your comic of the week? So this week I picked uh, Superman Smashes the Clan, number three, the conclusion issue to the awesome, 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 awesome story arc, which I've picked the other two issues for for my comic of the week when they were Superman appealing. Smashes the Clan 3, three um, Smash Hard with a Vengeance. That's right. Um, here we smash again. I, I don't know. Smash um, Harder. Yeah. <laughs> smash Live for your Smash Hard. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Um, the short story is that Superman r- rises to his full potential, accepts... Literally. Him. Yeah, I know, right? Flying. <laughs> he floats to his full potential. Yeah. Flying. We have a really great spotlight for how the main girl is developing in her own right because she's she knows things. She's smart. She's clever. She's observant. She's very much got a reporter mind, which is awesome to see her interact with Lois Lane. Um, all all of their scenes together are fantastic. Um, but also how she um just kind of grows into her own over the course of this issue but definitely stands up for herself and stands up to superman her hero her idol she calls him out on not doing his absolute best and that is huge that right there is a hero moment and 
and it's just so nice to see it all written out. Um, but also what's really tremendous besides the art and the story and the satisfying conclusion of the actual story arc is the amazing historical um, summaries at the end of each issue. And this one is no exception where you see the source of um, the source of the story itself was a radio program set in these times. The the writer goes into good detail about um, what, what, what those times were just, like it wasn't just and set how it, they were set in. It wasn't just set in those times. Those times were the times that it was written and created. Written in this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. where the radio program dramatiz- took place. Dramatizing the clan mm-hmm. at a time when the clan was a real thing that yeah. could come and burn your ass. You know what yeah. I mean? Like this, this took guts at the time. I know. Amazing. And it... it simultaneously um, dwarfed them and also told them that they're not going to win um, in a very public way with one of the most iconic figures at of the time being the, the voice that's, that shut them down. And I think that's so powerful. But also the author's history, the, the few pictures that we got are so wonderful. And so everything, how it was all tied in together as related to his personal history and um, the setting of the time in which the radio broadcast originally was written and conceived and, and um, executed and how it was received by the public. I mean, all of this fascinating historical record um, accompanying this this model retelling of it I it's just it brings me to tears the well, whole thing is really really one wonderful of the, one work of the part. great things about comics is that it can be more personal than most other forms of media because when you look at the sheer number of people that have to be involved in a TV show yeah. or a movie I mean the only other thing you could say maybe could be the potential for being even more personal is something like prose yeah. or poetry where it's literally one author yeah but for anything with a visual component mm-hmm. you got like one writer, one artist. Sometimes it's even the same person, right? Yeah, it could like be. you have someone like Eric Larson or Mike Mignola or you know Jeff Smith or Frank Miller. Like it's all one person. It doesn't get any more personal than that. And you can have that, you know, right. in any Connection. sort of visual medium. It can it can just be it can be so personal because your your vision for the story doesn't have to be filtered through a hundred other people, right? You know, an editor, a cinematographer. Producers, composer, all producers, you know, line writers, or you know, whatever the, else. Yeah, marketing departments before it gets to yeah, exactly. the readers. Yeah, so you can tell a very personal story in a visual way better in comics than you can in really other, any other medium. Yeah, that's one of the things that makes it cool. Yeah, no, it was great. It wouldn't surprise like she's a character that I wouldn't surprise me to see pop up. Like this is not and in I continuity, love that but she wound up using her her given name, yeah, her Chinese cool. name. That was really awesome. But what how often happens is you ha- you have a little out of continuity story like this where they used to call them else worlds or whatever and then but then that character gets gets put into the main stuff somewhere. Yeah. Like who knows? I mean with this new timeline, you could have characters like that working for the Daily Planet in the 1940s or 1950s. And you know, she could be a contemporary of some of these other characters if that's the way the new timeline is going to go so yeah. she could, they could sort of canonize her in that way mm-hmm. yeah i mean i hope s- so she's great well you see that i mean you s- like some like carrie kelly right like that was dark knight returns was never supposed to be in continuity but people love that character and so carrie kelly became basically an official robin even though she was never in the main continuity right yeah. but whenever you see like some anniversary illustration of the robins she's always there mm-hmm. even though she was never in the main continuity so yeah what'd I, you pick so I picked Flash Forward number six. Nice. Uh, so this has been a, this has been a good series. I mean, it hasn't been necessarily the most groundbreaking or, or innovative or artistic or whatever. But I, but this last issue really hit home because you know Wally Wally West is one of my favorite characters. He was one of the you know he was yeah. the Flash when I started reading DC Comics, and he was he and Kyle Rayner and Tim Drake were kind of like 
did I tell? I think I must have told you the story where Wizard Magazine. Nobody even remembers Wizard Magazine. <laughs> it was it was, a, it was like what's what's the good analogy? I mean, you know how there's there's magazines about like Empire Magazine or whatever is about movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like Entertainment yeah. Weekly. You know, like mag- yeah, yeah. Wizard was a monthly mag uh, magazine about comics, and they'd have interviews and. You know, big exclusive stories where they'd unveil unveil new art from a new series, and then at the back there'd be like price a price guide, like here's what every superhero comic is going for now on the on the market or whatever. But it'd be like it was like a, a, a fan, kind of like a fan or trade publication, and they did a story. I don't even know how old I must have been, maybe ten or eleven or something like that. It must have been later than that if Kyle was Green Lantern. It must have been in the mid-90s. Anyway, I I, had wa- I was watching like Batman the Animated Series. And of course, I'd watch like the Christopher Reeve movies and the Tim Burton Batman movies and so on. But I didn't really read any DC comics. And I But I was reading some other comics like Image stuff. I was, I was reading a lot of Marvel back then. Spider-Man, X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was this one story in Wizard Magazine about like the new faces of DC comics. And they're like, oh, you know, Green Lantern isn't this old test pilot guy anymore he's this hip new guy young guy who lives in new york and he's a you know, he's a comic book artist and flash isn't like this stodgy police scientist anymore with a bow tie and a buzz cut he's like this he's like this young guy that's that's like you know what i mean mm-hmm. and, and there's cool new robin he's not like the dorky dick grayson robin or the jerky jason todd robin he's he's young and he's relatable and he's got real yeah, life issues yeah. like it's the kind of thing that would s- probably seem super corny as an as a piece of journalism now but at the time i'm like oh you know this maybe i maybe i should start being and graham morrison had just started doing jla which had kyle rayner and wally west right there so i'm like oh i'll I'll pick up jla where i'll get a taste of these characters and i'll read a little bit i remember the first page of the first green lantern issue i read i remember the the daryl banks illustration of kyle rayner there with some big construct (laughs) mecha guns doing like an arnold schwarzenegger impersonation like look at me i'm arnold and he had like these big guns and he was like using them to fight crime on the the wharf or whatever um yeah and the first was it like paul ryan illustrated the not that paul ryan a different artist not not the not the republican paul ryan um listen i don't think it's the same guy maybe went from being a comic book artist to the the, yeah majority leader but um yeah mark wade was so Brian Augustine at that point, um, and Paul Ryan, the first flash issue, I, flash issue I read, it was like him helping out the Pied Piper or something like that. Um, where was I going with this? Oh yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but those ca- with those characters, like as corny as it is, like oh we're hip and young now. DC's hip and young, right? But Kyle and Wally and Tim were like my entree into DC Comics, and you know those so Flash. I don't think I ever really read Tim Tim's solo Robin series until much later, but it was, I, I sort of was cool to know that he was there and like this new character. But it was like the Kyle Green Lantern series, the Wally Flash series, and JLA, where they both were, alongside obviously all the other big characters, were sort of like the three DC comics that I first started reading. And so they're like my guys, you know what I mean? Like yeah. anytime Wally shows up or Kyle, we're like, oh, there he is. You know, like you don't get as much play now that the, the quote-unquote classics are back. So a series like this that that is about Wally and sort of takes him in this new direction. You know, Heroes in Crisis, a little controversial because it kind of turned him into this mass murderer to a certain extent, even though it was unintentional. Mass manslaughterer? Yeah. I don't know what you call it. Um, But it gives him this interesting new mission statement and then you get to the end of this and he's got this potential to have his kids back. He's reunited with his kids and, you know, I remember when his kids were... I remember when when Linda discovered she was pregnant. I remember when she miscarried, when Zoom attacked them. I remember when they got the kids back because of time shenanigans. Um, I remember when they were born. I remember when they were aged up and they had like wacky powers where mm-hmm. Jay would become like soup, like his, 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 the speed force affected him differently where it like supercharged his metabolism. He wasn't fast, but he could like sort of hulk out kind of weird, but Iris had like speed powers. Um, 
and so like they would they would team up with their their parents and fight crime and then later he got depowered and iris became the new impulse which is the costume she's still wearing here if you notice she's wearing the impulse suit Mm -hmm. whereas jay is just sort of wearing this generic speed speed costume so he gets them back you know they've obviously been gone since the new 52 and then even in rebirth he was back but linda didn't remember him and his kids didn't exist anymore here he has the chance to get them back for good but they discovers that this is they only exist in this world that he created out of his fears of losing them mm-hmm. he's got to destroy it if the multiverse is going to survive he decides you know the the what's his name tempest fugitive mm-hmm. gives him the mobius chair which we haven't seen since before you started reading back in dark side war where batman kind of became the new metron and then the chair was abandoned after that that's referenced here it's like oh many people have sat in this chair metron batman a few others um while he can, can sit in this chair and give him all this the power enough to destroy this world and save the multiverse, but it'll sever like any emotional connections he has because he'll be flooded with so much knowledge and power and so on. Um, but he, he does that. He basically sacrifices his humanity and any chance to be with his family in order to give them a chance to live. So he makes this deal with the Tempest Fugitive that his kids are taken back to Earth. This, this world is destroyed. Um, and they're plopped down on, on Earth Prime or zero, whatever you're going to call it. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit of a convenience, but the conceit is that now that they're back, now that they exist again, Linda suddenly has all of her memories back, and so she can be a mother to them. And so his family is whole again, but he doesn't get to be a part of it. And he's like, see him, we see him like flying through the cosmos in the chair, and there's some t- narration that says that another all-powerful intellect like notice him and notices him and reaches out, and then we see like the atom symbol from Doctor Manhattan yeah. appear in his forehead, and he gets like this this smile on his face, and like he knows something glow, is about. To, yeah. So we know from what we talked about last week that he's going to use this new power to basically create the new timeline, and so that's what this is launching into. And so the free comic book issue that we talked about last week is going to be an epilogue to this story. And I think I just read this past week that they've actually expanded the page count for that. Cool. So wow. I think they're, they're going to, you know, there's going to be even more to that story in the free comic book day issue, wow. um, which will be in a couple of months. So that's what, but then it said, follow the story into the pa- pages of Flash 750, which comes out uh, next week. Mm-hmm. So maybe there'll be a little Wally story in there. Or maybe it'll just allude to it. I don't know. But I think this is obviously, you know, this is going to be the big thing coming up. And so it's, they're going to start, we're maybe going to start to seed it in a few various places. Very exciting. But the emotional aspect of him, you know, he's reunited with his kids and he loves them very much and he has to say goodbye to them if they're going to survive, obviously, you know, really hit yep. home. So, yeah. It really was a really it. nice issue. So, are you ready for your pop quiz? I am ready. Okay. So, this week, because of that, I'm going to quiz you about Wally West. Okay. okay? There's going to be multiple choice. All right. All right. So, number one, yeah. Wally first appeared in what year? Was it 1949, 1959, 1969, or 1979? Um, 79. No, 1959. Okay. Well, think, well, think about it. When, when, when did the Silver Age start? When did Barry Allen debut as the Flash? Mm-hmm. Did the Silver Age begin basically in the 1980s when the Golden Age ended in the I early 50s? I don't know. I, honey, that doesn't, that information doesn't help me. Well, it does because I, unless you think that Barry Allen was without a sidekick for 30 years, the 80s I, That's what been, I had to guess. Yeah. No, it was pretty, it was only a few years later. Oh, I didn't know. Ballion debuted in, I think, 56, I'm not in 55, but I think it was 56, and then Wally was only three years later, in 1959. Oh, all right. Yep. See, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, they didn't introduce him in 79, then he became the Flash six years later. He was Kid Flash for a long time before that. Okay. Okay? All right. So, number two. Wally became the Flash in what year? 1976, 1986, 1996, or 2006? Mm-hmm. 
86? Correct. I kind of just gave that one away, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, why are you still, you're still looking because so unsure I was, then. Because I was curious as to whether it was a red herring. No. Okay. Okay. A red hair, red hair ding. Nah. All right. Number three. What is Wally's middle name? Richard, Randall, Rumlow, or Rudolph? Rudolph. Yes. How did you know that? Don't know. Does it come up? I have no idea. In the comics before? I think it, it does every so often. Somewhere. It, All right. it did, but that no, sounded familiar. Number four. Who was the best man at Wally's wedding? Barry Allen, Dick Grayson, Victor Stone, or Roy Harper? Roy. No, it was Dick Grayson. Oh, was it? That was my first guess, but then you said Roy Harper, and I was like, oh, it must be Roy. Well, I mean, if you're going to pick from one of his friends, why wouldn't you pick his best friend and not... See, I don't know. I thought I thought Roy was his best friend. No, it's he always lost him in Wally- Infinity War, and I mean, in in um, no, he was one of his crisis old, oldest friends from the Titans. But like on Young Justice and stuff, it was, it was always it was always Wally and Dick, right? It was always was Robin it? and Kid Flash. Well, yeah. Kid Flash was the only one that knew his secret identity, right? It was them, always them kidding around, and they knew each other better than anyone. They known each other longer. Remember. That was that was straight out of the comics. They were always, I mean, I want okay, to say always because there was a long time there in the comics where nobody really had much depth and everybody was best pals all the time, right? But once they actually started deepening things a little bit, they sort of retroactively said that they were best friends. But that was, you know, but then there were many years of stories after that that reinforced it. So, yeah. yeah. All right, number five. What team was Wally never a part of? Justice Society of America, Justice League Europe, Justice League Task Force or Justice League Elite? Society of America. Correct. Yeah, because that was the first one. Right. So you got one, two, three. I'll take it. Good job. Yeah. All right. So now we have our shows. So we've got a couple of episodes of Doctor Who. We've got Supergirl, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Harley Quinn, uh, The Return of Star Wars The Clone Wars, and Star Trek Picard. That's a lot. Okay. So Okay, spoilers. Here we go. So we're going to go kind of high level on some of these since we're a little under the weather, but uh, we should probably talk about Doctor Who at least a little bit. So the the first episode we had we had two this week actually. We had The Haunting of I'm not going to try to pronounce this properly. Villa Diodati. I'm not sure sure yeah. how you pronounce that properly. Um this was a fun sort of like historical mystery mm-hmm. that actually ended up becoming more important to the overall story with the lone Cyberman and everything. Yeah. But I thought as far as like a sort of a um, a fun one that started off at least, sort yeah. of like, kind of sort like a, a like lighthearted mystery, ghost story, yeah. light, mm-hmm. lighthearted ghost mystery kind of thing. Um, that that part was enjoyable with historical characters that I know a little bit about, but not much. But then when it started to tie into the whole thing with the lone Cyberman that was yeah. prophesied back at the beginning of the season, then things started to really get bigger. And then we had the next one, which is the uh, Ascension of the Cyberman, which is part one of the big two-part finale where we've got Cyberman, the last survivors of the human race, yeah. At, the, at the end, the master shows back up. Gallifrey is involved somehow. We know this is obviously going to somehow involve the whole timeless child yeah. thing because the finale is called the timeless children. So that's going to have something to do with it. Um, there's this whole uh, runner throughout the episode yeah, of this a, a child <laughs> that's found in Scotland and is raised and is somehow invulnerable and also is like being somehow controlled or like manipulated by the people around him who don't age and are like is this like a yeah, vr environment started, or is it like some sort like of time loop or what is this yeah exactly so i don't know what that what that is but i thought this one was really good too like you feel the stakes you feel like it's you know these yeah. are the last survivors the the drama is good you know the characters get get separated there's a lot of you know there's a lot of drama a lot of action the character moments are good as as always you know in the chibnall era as we've always said the guest characters is true of the 
previous one too with with um Mary Shelley and uh, Lord yeah. Byron and so on but the guest characters are very, always very well drawn in these stories too like all these survivor characters here don't ask me to remember any of their names but they're all like oh you know it's they're sort of at times broad archetypes but like oh here's the guy who lost his brother and now he's a pessimist and here's like the strong woman character who's going to like who's going to lead them and here's the wise leader who dies early on and like oh, the scared brother who panics at the last moment and you know what i mean yeah but they're effectively done and they they're teamed up with our guys in interesting ways we get this um like half assimilated cyberman yeah, yeah, exactly. guy who still has emotions and really hates humans yeah and he's like and it's smart actually like the, i feel like i don't know it's the borg thing right like are yeah. the borg scarier when they're like faceless and implacable and insta- unstoppable or the borg scarier when there's an actual face you can put on them that can scheme and and Plot. and monologue and interact mm-hmm. with our characters in, in a non-one-sided way you right. know yeah so you know the debate rages as far as the Borg is concerned. But but here I feel like the Borg were interesting last season when, or I guess two seasons ago, when the master Masters were behind them, right? I guess just Master because Missy just kind of stumbled into it. But when yeah. the John Sim Master was behind them and they're interesting here with this guy yeah. behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought this is good. I'm like, you, you know that the mysteries are coming to a head and so you're kind of like expecting big answers. But the story itself was, was like exciting and really well-paced, carried you along. Yeah. Sometimes the stories this season feel like they feel like they should end mm-hmm. and there's like a climax, but then they go on for like another 10 minutes. But these these couple didn't really do that. So I thought that I thought that the pacing was really strong in these two. I definitely think this season, now they're only one episode away from the end, definitely much stronger than last season. Re- yeah. Really, Orphan 55 was the only one that I didn't really like. Yeah, um, same. So Supergirl, this was the 100th episode. So this, this was a fun episode. Much like when Arrow did their 100th episode, is basically just an excuse to visit a bunch of like yeah. old times and see a bunch of old what characters. A wonderful way to have a clip show. It did not feel boring at well, all. Well, it wasn't it really a, it wasn't really it a clip show. It was a little bit. Well, I know. It was, it was re- a little re- clip. No more clip show than, say, All Good Things. No, true. Uh, the next gen was. Just revisiting old characters and old time periods, but with entirely new scenes and footage and performances. So it's yes. not really a clip show. Um but yeah, we got to see Win again for like the third consecutive episode. I, I feel like so we great. just say goodbye to him when he's back again. Monel, right? Yeah, um, that was great. Odette Annabelle's character, what was it? Um, Rain, the woman who became yes. Rain. Mm-hmm. Um, and her mother. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's Rain's mother again. Um, uh, who else? I, I wondered if we'd see like Kat or, or a James we a again. We didn't, see, we didn't see them. We saw James. Oh, well, we saw footage In the old footage, yeah. yeah. Sam Witwer's back, too. He was back yeah. also. I feel like I'm forgetting at least one or two others. But yeah, it was cool to see the see um, some of the old the characters again. The guy who did the Church of Rao? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Chad Lowe, Rob Lowe's yeah. brother, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was fun to see a bunch of those characters again. And, and the way it's, it's it's smart to do it, like, the, the as with Arrow, where that was, like, the Dominators creating, like, a virtual environment for them, so there's, like, you know, there was a there, that was the conceit there. Here, it's smart because we're kind of at this inflection point in the season where you feel like, at least I've been feeling like, you really want Kara to get get over blaming herself over the whole Lena thing. Like, she's an adult. You made a mistake for the with the best of intentions. You apologized for it for months, multiple like, times. Yeah, it's time to tell her to like be an adult and take responsibility for her own actions. And I kind of felt throughout this whole episode like she's going to she's going to like completely rewrite the timeline just to soothe the feelings of this one selfish person yeah like yeah. that's way o- out of proportion like that's a, op very OP, um yeah. but the conclusion she comes to at the end it does feel like she kind of had to be led there because it doesn't matter if the world would have been better or worse for lena or for you 
it still doesn't give you the right to change history, right? But it just, we're, so we're lucky then that all the alternate timelines ended up being horrible or else you wouldn't have yeah. come to the correct realization, which is that, you know, she can't, she shouldn't go back and try to fix her mistakes. She just has to own them, apologize for them and move on. But that's where she's left at the end of the episode. So that's good. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was enjoyable. It's always fun to see like the old characters again, see mon again and Wynn and all those other characters. Right? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was a it was a very nice episode. So Flash, this one was called The Girl Named Sue. So this is the big after being teased since the finale of last yes, season. We finally, finally get the introduction. I keep wanting to call her Sue Dibney. Uh, Sue Dearborn. So obviously, I don't know how much you know about this, but obviously very different than the comics. In the comics, she was, she was, I mean, she was introduced in the Silver Age. So she didn't really have a lot going on. She was yeah. not supposed to be like a strong female empowerment character. She was a, a young she was a young wealthy socialite, but she was she was a nice character. She was sweet. Like she was this young, you know, socialite character who could have just had like everything handed to her on a silver platter, but she fell in love with like this goofy guy and they became like this this duo, right? Like she would go out she would go out and you know, go on his cases with him and help him solve crimes and support him and cheer him on, you know, and they, he would go up to the satellite for justice league meetings and she'd be there at the meetings, like holding his hand and, and, you know, like helping out. And like, she was not like what you would call like this strong feminist icon, but she was, you know, she was a, a sweet, nice, fun character that everybody loved because she was like, you know what I mean? Yeah. She was sweet and kind and empathetic and she was, she was a nice character. And then, you know, the empathy for the character got ratcheted up, you know, 15 years ago, whatever, when she was brutally murdered in Identity Crisis, and then it took Ralph dying too, and then both finding each other in the afterlife before they finally get it, got any kind of a happy ending. But they're both still alive in the comics now again, so it doesn't didn't doesn't really matter. But um, yeah, so here they kind of so they they make you think they're they're just sort of slightly tweaking it, like they're they're going or taking her from being like this um, innocent young socialite right. to being someone who like was an innocent young socialite, but was then kind of like. Um, for, forced pursued, by circumstance yeah. to sort of like toughen up and, and become street smart and everything. Um, so they make you think that, oh, it's just going to be like a slight inflection from the character from the comics. And then it turned out that she's even more divergent than that where she was, I mean... A full-on so, thief. So, well, so she says is that she's she never really was that innocent person. Right. But something tells me that like they're not going to turn her into a bad guy. So something tells me that, you know, she's still like a sweet, good person at heart. Mm-hmm. But... She's just sort of gone down the wrong path and Ralph will help her find her way back to the straight and narrow and they'll team up and become, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend and detectives together and so on. Like it's probably where they're going to go with this. But for now, she's tied up with this whole black hole thing. Yeah. Um, I was seeing Joshua Williamson say that it's so cool. Like he creates these characters because the the whole black hole is like this secret criminal society is Mm -hmm. a recent thing that was just in Rebirth, right? So he's got Godspeed. A blood work and now black hole that yeah. he just created in the past few years yeah, and he's are now them on all live on, action. on, on it's the screen. It's crazy. It must be mind-blowing. Don't normally get that sort no. of like... Normally you, normally you have to be Jeff Johns where you revamp a character like with Aquaman or Shazam and then your version of the character becomes the version in the movies just a few years later. Normally you have to be that important for that to happen. Um, yeah, but it was it was a fun episode. And so I think that I think the actress did a good job. Apparently they'd known each other. She and Hartley Sawyer had known each other for years. They'd done something together like ten years ago. So they they already had like an easy rapport and chemistry with I think that they actually did have a good back and forth on the show. Agreed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like even when the dialogue isn't always the strongest, it's it's you can tell they're having fun together and it's like a fun relationship. So I think I'm looking forward to seeing her again. Um so Legends of Tomorrow, this one was called Ahead of Her Time, which is, you know, these titles are usually puns, so it's the whole Marie Antoinette. Thing. Yeah. This was another fun one. 
You know, um, like Cor- Courtney one. Ford gets to have a like play a little double role here as Marie Antoinette. We get to see a lot more of this new version of Zari uh, with her having to help out Ava on a mission. I was right, by the way, when I said, oh, Katie Lotz is barely in this one. She's I bet she's either directing this episode or she's going to direct the next episode. Yeah. I was right. She's directing the next episode. Um, but it's it's actually kind of works pretty well because you've got Ava, who's new to being part of the team and sort yeah. of is hesitant to take on a leadership role. And Zari, who's doesn't remember any of these people and is sort of being thrust into this role. Now they've got to kind of sink or swim without their fearless leader there. Right. So it's kind of a fortuitous time to have that sort of thing happen so that they can stand on their own a little bit. But this was, this was a fun one. I don't have a lot to say about it, but it was fun. The performances were fun. I love the French accent. Yeah. (laughs) accent. Oh, oh, but it does set something up for later as to why the well, mystery of why yeah, they maybe, look Well, maybe it's going to be a thing why Marie Antoinette looks exactly like with Nora. With that FaceTime conversation, they hung a lantern on it deliberately. So well, it might turn yeah. out to be. That could just be like them having a little bit of fun with the fact that, yeah, could audience, be, we know, be, that, it's, we it know that it's be. a bit of a stretch, but right. so we're just going to like As call it As you were discussing off mic, though, I mean, it, it would be an interesting setup for a story that explains why those two actors Well, who knows? Because the if they're leaving the show, maybe there's something about like, oh, she's got this, like she's reincarnated throughout history and they have to leave in order to find the mystery of, like, who knows? Um so we have the season finale of Harley Quinn called oh, The Final so Joke. Good. So as we predicted, uh, Poison Ivy comes back. She yeah. basically regrows just like, you know, she did in the comics. Um, they, she has this big, Harley has this big climactic showdown with Joker. Yep. Uh, defeats him with Ivy's help. The city basically gets trashed. And so now we have like this post-apocalyptic Gotham City with uh, most, of the, most of the villains and heroes seemingly gone. Yeah. Although Joker's hand like comes up out of the rubble at the end, I if it were me, but I would, it turned it turned pe- uh, pale well. That's what again. I was expecting to happen, but I don't remember seeing it do that. It did. It do. Looked, still it did looked do. white to me. No, did it? it did. It turned pale and everything, and his laugh changed from the maniacal one to like a a, a regular. Yeah, person I remember the thinking that the laugh seemed like it was kind so of this deteriorating. Is be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but if it were me, I would sort of take him off the board entirely for a while and t- and tell completely different stories without him there. But if you're going to have him there and sort of the background. Um, as a as a human character where he like I don't think he's going to reform necessarily I don't think it's going to be like the Jack Napier yeah, thing in the, in the White Knight comics but it maybe it's going to be like he he still wants to be the Joker he still wants to be evil and crazy but he's just not anymore and but he's trying to force it like there could be some comedy perhaps to be mined from that um yeah like burn well yeah. It was, yeah but it was good I I I enjoyed it and so I'm looking forward to next season me too very much um, so we have the return of Star Wars, the Clone Wars. So this one was called the Bad Batch. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. So I enjoyed this one. It looked great. The performances or, well, I guess, yes, performances, multiple performances, multiple pretty performances much all by, by the same one actor. actor yeah. Um, what's his were, name again? D. Bradley D- Baker. D. Bradley Baker. Uh, were great. Um, I must admit though, that as far as like the, the history of the Clone Wars show was concerned, the episodes that focused entirely on the clones were never really my favorites. Like aside from Rex, I would always have trouble remembering, not like within the context Echo of an episode, I, I could, couldn't tell them apart or whatever, but like when they would have another episode where a bunch of clones come back and like, wait, which one was fives? Which one was like, I can't, yeah. you know what I mean? But 99. Yeah, no, I, but did you remember who that was until the video we watched reminded no. you of it? <laughs> but that's the thing. Like I just, I, I can't retain all that. Whereas the ep- the episodes that I enjoyed more were more like, oh, like Ahsoka's maturation or Anakin's, you know, moving towards the dark side or all the stuff on Mandalore. Or like, I always found that stuff more interesting than the purely clone focused episodes. Right. But I know that those have a lot of fans too. And it, it was good, but it's just like, I'm looking forward to more of the other two arcs that are going to be more Ahsoka focused and return to the Mandalore stuff. That's the stuff I'm looking forward to. Yeah. More. But it's good to have the show back 12 episodes. The first few are going to be this clone storyline. Yep. And then 
the others will be the others. Um, so Star Trek Picard, this one was called Stardust City Rag. This was a really, this was a, a sort of a, in some ways, kind of like a bizarre episode, but I really liked it. I, I know that. Um, that was a lot of fun. Jason Snell on the Vulcan Hello uh, podcast said that this is his favorite episode of the show so far and, <laughs> and his favorite episode of Star Trek in like the last 10 or 20 years, That's which really hilarious. just which really just puts it up against the Abrams movies, Enterprise and the tail end of Voyager and Discovery. Um, but it's not like he's comparing it to classic next gen or like Deep Space Nine or the original series or something. So it is it is kind of skewing a little bit. I'm not sure if I would go that far, but I do think it's my favorite one, perhaps since the first episode. Um, I, th- I feel like now we've kind of all the characters are established. They're off on this mission. Obviously, all the Seven of Nine stuff was great. Um, yeah, the opening with her finding Ichab being tortured yeah. by uh, the Bejazel character. So I saw an article on this online, and I had the same thought when you were watching it. Didn't Bejazel? You you have a you have a history of like not thinking people look like other people, but <laughs> Bejazel looked like Encounter at Farpoint era uh, Marina Sirtis, like eerily yes. like Encounter at Farpoint era yes. Marina to the point where okay, no, some I people won't disagree with you to on the point one. where some people watching this episode thought that it was actually Marina Sirtis. her digitally de-aged yeah. in some shocking twist, like oh, like it's some. Troy clone who's evil or something like they thought it was going to be a plot point and were surprised when it wasn't. It's just someone who looks exactly like her, yeah. like she did thirty years ago. Um, so yeah, so so Echep had when the Voyager returned from the Delta Quadrant, Echep you know became full Starfleet, like yep. he was you know taking the test to do on Voyager. Um, he became a science officer. Why he was wearing a red uniform when he was a science officer, you I don't can quite work know. A command post on a science sh- shuttle. They didn't say he was assi- on a, assigned to a science ship. They said he was a science officer, though, which would mean he should be wearing blue. No, it was a science vessel. Okay, so he could have been command track in a science vessel. I must have misheard. He gets lured out and trapped by this Bejazel character yeah. because she's like this, you know, black market Borg person. Yeah, probably more than Borg just Borg surprise, stuff, but yeah. to the for the purposes of this episode, Borg parts. Uh, and very graphically tortured here, like his, like his eyeball is removed, and they're taking other parts of him off. There was a thing that that went by really quick, and I didn't I didn't notice it, but it was pointed out to me afterwards. She's like the reason why the torture goes on sh- so long is she's looking for his cortical note. Yeah. She's like, oh, I can't find that cortical note. Do you remember? And there was an episode of Voyager where where Seven's cortical note was failing, and he had to donate his to her, and she wouldn't let him do it because it, it carried the great risk of like severely. Uh, shortening his lifespan or something, oh, but he yeah. wanted to do it for her because she was like a mother figure. That's do you right. remember this episode? I do. So oh she gosh. was never going to find that cortical note. She was just going to torture him for hours and hours trying to find this thing, but she was never going to find it oh because God. he didn't have it anymore. So that, that it's not important to the episode, but that was like the writers really did their homework on that. And to remember oh. that each have nobody's favorite, like fifth, like 15th down <laughs> Voyager character yeah. didn't have this one I piece of work. Vo- I like him. About. I like him I too. I like that but episode too. And yeah, that was great. That was a good that episode. That was a good episode for him too. But Seven comes in. Uh, she's, I guess, already one of these Fenris Rangers by this point because she yeah. had the whole like look about her only a few years after the whole attack on Mars thing. So she, yeah, she transitioned she to that really quick. Really quickly. She, uh, she so. comes in. She has to basically euthanize him. She calls him my child as she yeah. tearfully shoots him, which is, you know, so she's really lost. I guess she hasn't lost everybody. All the Voyager people are still out there somewhere. She could go look them up if she was, right. you know, hard, kids, hard up for, no, for and the other family. Two, but and the other two kids that they, uh, were deborn. Three. Well, there was three? the twins. No, there were the twins and well, just, No, there were three others. I'm almost certain. There were there was there were twins and then there was another so person kids? that was older. There were four of them originally. I'm pretty sure there were twins. Oh, yeah, you're right. And then there was right. another boy, I think. I could be wrong. You're I don't. Right. I, I don't. You know, people remember each other. Those those other 
twins were just around for a few episodes. I remember there was one where Neelix was like telling them ghost stories or something. And uh, in the yeah, the, and then the, they got to pass by in the Delta Quadrant. They passed by. Yeah, their they just happened planet. to pass by their planets. Like, yeah, well, well, don't I need mean, these characters anymore. Whatever. Um, so that you know, obviously, that's really sad. Uh, we meet up with her in the present. So she is, like we speculated last week, one of these Fenris Rangers. She's yep. basically when the neutral zone neutral zone collapses, the area that's just outside of Federation space and basically descended into lawlessness. Uh, yeah. She she went out. We don't know who else is part of this group, but it's like this vigilante army that's out there basically trying to keep the you know keep order um she's gotten a lot more rough and tumble she drinks whiskey she curses she's got a lot more of a sort of a casual uh conversational Mm -hmm. tone about it but there's enough of the i mean jerry ryan she really i mean she took what could have been a very flat character that was a lot of people feared was added only for like sex appeal. Like, yeah. oh, we're going to have a sexy Borg on the show that wears skin tight cat suits, right? And she, she just through her sheer force of will, turned that character into what a lot of people feel is like the best character on that show. Yeah. And one of a lot of people's favorite Star Trek characters ever. I yeah. wouldn't necessarily go that far, but she'd be in like my top 10, certainly. Yeah. Um, but she never really, I feel like the writers, as was often the case with Voyager, the writers. And, and, you know, it's true to a certain extent of, like, Next Gen and the original series, too, because they were all products of the time. But I feel like the writers on Voyager were never really interested in having characters grow too much. They matured. They deepened. We learned more about them. Their relationships evolved. But characters didn't really undergo major shifts in characterization. Seven, she she lightened up and she, she became more human in certain ways. But the way that she was being performed was... And Jerry Ryan has said this, the way that she was being performed at the end of season seven was basically the same way she was being performed after two or, two or three episodes in, in season four. Um, so it's jarring now when you see her, the next time you see her, yeah. it's 20 years later and she's acting almost completely different. But yep. she's able to pepper in enough of the mannerisms and mm-hmm. turns of phrase and like just body language yeah. of seven that you're like, she's still in there somewhere. And it's, you know, to hear Jerry Ryan tell it, she was panicked when she got this first script because the seven she was being asked to play here was so unlike the other one and she couldn't she couldn't see the line from there to there like she didn't know how to play this character she could play the character but she didn't know how to play her in a way that was true to who seven used to be and she's like she was practically in tears and she was talking to Jonathan Del Arco who plays Hugh and Hugh had this Hugh Del Arco (laughs) had this idea well if you can't play her as like oh this is who she is now play her as like this is who she's pretending to be like maybe she's not this you know, mm-hmm. this person, She, but she's she's had to learn to pretend to be this person to survive or to get along or whatever. Yeah. And you can kind of see like to to do the kind of job, to work in the kind of environments, to be in the kind of dangerous environments like this planet yeah. Free Cloud yeah. is, if she was the same stick in the mud, you know, humorless, she would stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. She has to, she had to become, or at least had to pretend to be, she had to adopt yeah. the affectations of like this Han Solo type in order to survive out there, right? You know what scene I was thinking about that particular exchange? Because I knew this backstory before this. And so when we watched this episode, the one moment that I thought that it might be a bit of a crock or or her humanity was taking, as it were, was the moment where she had to euthanize Egypt because nobody you, was around well, to see sure. that. She, it, she was just him and her, and it was a private moment. And her guttural, visceral grief after um that was 
that was just for her. Yeah, you know, and she, nobody was. And she she wasn't pro- performing. She that. probably would have had the same reaction there, I mean, or something like that had happened had happened on Voyager too. It's just we never got to see her in that situation because we never saw her lose. She's never had to lose anybody close to her after her parents, and she barely even remembers that happening. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. Um, but yeah, so she was fantastic. She has this great scene. She's got a bunch of great scenes here. I like where she, she basically convinces Picard that she's going to go off and be peaceful. And then she just like immediately beams right back, back down yep. to the planet and mur- murders Bejazel. Like she just went straight back there. She's yep. like, okay, I'll make a deal. We'll, I'll let you live and we get to leave in like five minutes. She's, it's the kind of thing where you, you're watching sci-fi where people can teleport yeah. or travel through time. And it's like, they Why could leave, but just... then they could just come right back. Yeah. Right? Like. But that's what she does. She beams up. She beams right back down after yep. all of the security people have left and she shoots her, right? Yep. Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. Um, and then she gets the moment we saw in the trailers oh, where she gets so like the good. two the huge guns, guns and she's yeah. um, walking right but she, through she fearless. Had, but the, the best scene I feel like, and she's got a great scene with Picard and his little vineyard holodeck thing there at the beginning, but she's got the great scene at the end between her and Picard mm-hmm. uh, where she asks him, you know, after you were freed from the Borg. Uh, did you ever feel like you re- you regained your com- humanity? And he immediately says yes, very confidently. Yes. But then she says all of it, and then he like the shadow passes over him for a second, and he has to say no, right? Yeah. And then they they agree. It's like well, but we all we can do is just try. You know, all we yeah. can do is try hard every day, and I hope that we'll eventually get there, right? But that's the kind of thing like you've had to. With the exception of maybe first contact, you've kind of had to read between the lines of the Picard character to feel like he's been permanently affected by the Borg thing because yeah. Next Gen was never really a show that dealt with him being haunted over the course of multiple years from a yeah, thing that happened. Yeah, they touched upon it once or twice. They let it have yeah, a well, moment. Yeah, like, but the Lacuta stuff would come back up. But yeah. I, with the exception of first contact, he never really felt haunted by it. Even when he would encounter the Borg again, you would feel the stakes because he knew what they could do. Right. But he ne- you never really felt like it was super personal for him until right. first contact. Yeah. Um, so to hear him say in his own words that he, it is a little bit of maybe like show don't tell, but maybe we'll see more of it in the very next episode where he goes to the Borg cube. Um, but to hear him say like in his own mind, like in his own words, that he never really felt like he was fully human again after that, yeah. like that's powerful stuff. You kind of wish you would seen some more of that in there, but it yeah. just, it wasn't the show that they were doing back then. You didn't really have that element of right. characterization from week to week necessarily. And then she beams back down and you get like this wonderful little, bit of the Voyager theme yes. as she beams down. Um, yeah, really nice. Just really, really classy. Uh, the other character we see, so we finally catch up with Bruce Maddox. Interestingly, to point out here, neither Echeb nor Bruce Maddox were played by their original actors. You looked this up for um, me, yeah. A little, a little bit more understandable. And, and well, I don't know. I mean, so the, I feel like there's some extenuating circumstances here. The, 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 the pedant in me would, would kind of, would always like, always like that consistency. Yeah, you know course. what I mean? Um, but... And in the case of the Maddox character, I know that the the actor hasn't really acted very much in like ten or fifteen years. He's mostly just you know he's he's stage over, theater oh, work. Well, yeah, but he's not even doing stage theater work. He's like directing and producing. Right. Like so, I feel like he's kind of moved away from the on camera stuff, and so maybe he didn't want to come back. As far as the Echep thing, I think it. I think there were a couple of things. I think that is probably a, a partially, at least partially, an age thing, because the Echep character was supposed to be like seventeen or eighteen at the time, and that was twenty years ago. Right. Whereas this character, it's only supposed to have been four or five years since Voyager ended. So he would have had to have been our age or a little bit older playing early 20s. Maybe you could pull it off, but for their, and but it might, they might have just felt it would, would have been easier to recast. I also, I, read, I don't know how, how substantial this is, but I also read that maybe the actor wasn't necessarily the easiest guy to get along with on the set, that he wasn't really very liked by the other cast members. Um, That's some, a disappointment. So, so maybe they—I don't know—kid kid actors sometimes they have a bit of a 
chip on their shoulder, you know. Yeah. Um, Will Wheaton, by his own by his own admission, wasn't always the sunniest guy back then too, because he kind of you know he didn't. It's the kind of right. thing where you don't really know what you've got until like it's he didn't gone, really yeah. appreciate the Star Trek. Stuff. He left the show, right? Yeah, he didn't really appreciate the Star Trek stuff until later, right? Yeah. Anyway, so who knows? I don't want to speak out of turn about the actor. It's just something I read in like a message board thread or whatever. But apparently, some people say that he was like not the easiest to get along with, and, and Jerry Ryan in particular, he was like not always great to her. So knowing that they were bringing her back, maybe either I don't know. I don't want to. I I don't. Know, it's it's hard, right? Like, do actors really want to put other actor deny other actors work? Yeah. But if they maybe they if they the people like Jonathan Frakes or whatever knew that that was true and they knew they were bringing her back they might have like you know what let's just avoid the drama the age thing would have been weird anyway he would have been playing someone almost half his age let's just get a different actor because it's one scene he barely has any lines you can't even really see his face I thought it was the same guy I thought so too that big prosthesis on his face doesn't cover a huge part of his face but when the rest is covered by blood it does does enough to make you think it's the same guy you know what I mean so anyway it's a little unfortunate that wasn't the same but there's just a bunch of other things in this one, so I mean... I mean, who knows? The, maybe there was a conversation. Maybe there was uh, even who, an audition. Who knows? I, I know. haven't read anything official. Maybe they reached out to both those actors and neither wanted to come back. I oh, the know. other thing I read that it might have been, as far as the e-chip thing is concerned, is that that actor um, did was in the Star Trek uh, fan project, Star Trek Renegades, uh, that was unauthorized, because it was a fan project, unauthorized by CBS. But, and there's been, you know, fan films. And sure, fan, of course. But this is one of the few that really drew the ire of CBS because basically the more professional and the, they are and the more money that's spent on them, the more CBS starts to get wary of them because they feel like people are going to confuse them with the genuine article. They might draw attention and mm-hmm. dollars away from their real official product. So this and the whole and the uh, fan film called Star Trek Axonar were the two that really got the legal hammer dropped on them Big Hard, time. Yeah. So I could maybe see that like anybody who was affiliated with that is maybe has a bit of a black mark in their ledger as far as CBS is concerned. Like, oh, he did that that project that we hate, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. we don't want to acknowledge. So let But Walter Koenig and Tim Russ were also in Star Trek Renegades. And I, I doubt that if they wanted to come back, CBS would say, No, we're not I gonna know. have you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's a question of degrees, but who knows? That's anyway, potentially another factor. Um but yeah, so we go to this free cloud planet. So they find Maddox. Um, they save him. Crazy bearded Maddox, yep. who's apparently in a relationship with Dr. Gerardi, mm-hmm. who's like a third of his age. Um, but that's fine. Uh, when, when when you're in the future and everybody lives to be 140 years old, being si- being 60 is maybe the equivalent of, you know, maybe yeah. like a 40-year-old dating a 25-year-old now, you know? Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, so, so they find him and then she kills him at the end. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, and she's got some interesting lines in there, which you could really dissect. She's like, she's te- like, she doesn't want to do it. No. But she's like, um, if, if only, knew. she's like, if only you know, you knew what I know. I wish I didn't know what I know. So mm-hmm. I think that when Commodore O with her unnecessary sunglasses came to her a couple of episodes ago, she was told something that may be true, maybe false about perhaps, you know, the truth behind the synth ban, the attack on Mars, yep. why these synths can't be allowed to exist, why it's important that Picard not find Soji, for mm-hmm. example, right? But now they know that Soji is on the artifact, so we know they're going there in the next episode. Yep. But presumably he had more to tell because he's like, oh, I know the secret behind this thing. It's like, and the Council of Eight or something was a yeah. thing that he dropped. Oh, and Rafi has this whole... I'm jumping around now, but there's so much in this. Rafi has this thing on Free Cloud where we discovered the reason she wanted to go to Free Cloud was to reunite with her estranged son mm-hmm. who is there at like this <laughs> Free Cloud fertility clinic, I guess. 
Um, no, it wasn't a fertility clinic. It was just a baby care. They were there clinic. for like a prenatal, prenatal checkup, checkup with his, his Romulan wife. Yeah, and so that, but that's kind of cool, right? Like, yeah. she's and it's no no mentions made of it, so it's that's sort of cool. It's been an interesting little bit of subtext, you know, that she she basically being part of this Romulan evacuation effort. It was all she believed in, but being part of it basically ruined her life and her career, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. And now her son has this Romulan wife, and she doesn't get to be a part of it. It's just an interesting You missed text, a big texture. subtext, honey. It was also her addiction. Well, sure. No, because I'm, for the last 15 years, when she wasn't part of Starfleet, she was up, holed up in no, Nevada. I know. I'm, not, I'm not saying that the Romulan wife thing has anything to do with why she's not yeah. but part of his life. The reason why she's not part of his life is because she has these addiction issues and she basically fell apart after she was dismissed from Starfleet. I just think it's an interesting bit of texture that, you know, that the Romulan culture is sort of like, you know, it makes it personal for her in a way. Like she's got like this daughter-in-law now who's Romulan after and a all, and she did all this stuff for the Romulans. Um, that, But he doesn't want to have anything to do with her. So she goes back, she goes back to the ship at the end. Um, stowaway, Sto- as a stowaway. Yeah. So what else? So so free clouds. So so there's a couple of interesting businesses on free cloud. Apparently, if you look really closely, there's quarks. So quark quarks gets a shout out here. It's like, oh, I've done That's some so business good. with quark of Ferenginar. There's a quarks on free cloud. Apparently, now is that is franchise. So you're like, yeah. Is is that what? Did he leave Deep Space Nine, or is he franchising out franchise. now, or did someone steal his name or something? There's a Mott's Hair Emporium there. Yeah, that was great. So it's like when when maybe when the Enterprise D blew up. Mott decided to like go into business for himself and start his own like barbershop, right? Like hair yeah. club for men thing, basically on Free Cloud. I know lots of interesting you know texture in there. Um, yeah, but the stuff that really makes this one work is the character stuff, right? Like, yeah. and there's, there's but it, it it's it it manages to walk a very interesting line. Like, there's, there's a lot of almost farcical comedy stuff in there with Rios pretending yeah. to be this roguish character and Picard pretending to be this over the top foppish French character. Yeah. Um, but then there's like tragedy with with Maddox being killed at the end, and there's all the stuff and the tragedy with Echep dying at the beginning, yeah. and all on Seven's whole arc over the thing, and the way it mirrors Picard's, and yeah, it's it, there's a lot of and and Frank, you know, Jonathan Frakes directed the heck out of it, and I always feel like he gets really great performances out of these actors, yeah, um, and I feel like he he more than most of these directors understands just because of his life understands like inherently like to the bone what Star Trek is and what it should be and so when he breaks the rules or bends the rules of what Star Trek should look like or what people should do or say in Star Trek shows I feel like he does it with a more deft touch than other directors yeah. who like grew up watching the shows but weren't a part of it you know what I mean yeah like if you, you know the whole thing like when you're learning to write or whatever where you have to learn the rules before you can break the rules I feel like yeah. it's the same here like he knows Star Trek inside and out it's been part of his life for the majority of his life. You know, he's whatever he is now, 60, 65 years old, and yeah. he's been a part of Star Trek since he was 25 or whoever old he was when he got was the cast, role of Will yeah. Riker. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? There are few people alive. You can count on, on one hand, maybe maybe two hands, if you include like all the surviving yeah. original cast members, but the people that that know Star Trek as well as he does, you know? Right. Because uh, could you name any? Because Leonard Me- Leonard Nimoy is gone. Yeah. Could do you? Can you name anyone who who knows Star Trek as well as he does in front of the camera and behind the camera? He really is like the next gen equivalent of Nimoy in terms of Besides being LeVar e- Burton? equally. Yeah, but he didn't. He, but, he, but it's not but as de- deep. Is but it? Burton never directed the movies. Like just yeah. in terms of the breadth of experience Frakes has from acting to directing TV to direct he's, he's to directing movies yeah. to doing it over multiple decades of the show. Like even Burton doesn't direct Star Trek anymore. Like he's, he has the he's most been experience. there the whole time. Yeah. He's definitely so, on the top. 
I don't know if he could look like, and Rick, people like Rick Berman aren't even associated, and Brandon Braga aren't, and Ron Moore, they're not associated with the franchise anymore. If you had to point to, to one person now who's like the keeper of the flame, like the one person who can walk onto this set and be the arbiter of what is and is not Star Trek, to the extent that anyone needs to be able to do that, um, I think it's him. And yeah. so having him there is a real, it's a real stamp of authenticity. And I feel like, I don't know, to me, like we said this last week, I, I, maybe it's just me reading between the lines, but I feel like, Patrick Stewart just feels like freer in front of the camera, like because he and he and Jonathan Frakes are like they're like brothers at this point. Yeah, they've known each other for decades, and you see the behind the scenes shots of when Frakes walks onto the set, and Patrick Stewart is just you know like he's, hey, he's practically like a little yeah. kid. He's giddy. Like this is like his best friend. You yeah, know, like yeah. he and Ian, he and Ian McKellen are probably like Patrick Stewart's two best friends, right? Yeah. Um, and all those next gen cast members are like. Like family, which just warms my heart, you know, because it was like that was like my TV family growing up, right? Where the Enterprise crew. Yeah. So I love it that those people also, if they, you know, it's always it's always really sad when you learn, like ten years after your favorite show goes off the air, that all the cast members like hated each other, right? Isn't that a real bummer when you learn stuff like that? Like, wouldn't it just kill you if like Martin Sheen and John Spencer really hated each other in real life? Like, wouldn't that just kill you? You know what I mean? Oh my god, yeah. Well, that's not true. They were like they became like yeah. brothers too. But I'm saying like, wouldn't that kind of thing just kill you if the West Wing cast hated each other? Yeah. I know you always read about like, oh, you know, William Shatner didn't really get along with anybody, and they still kind of only tolerate him a little bit. And he and Nimoy kind of like made their peace, but the rest of them don't really like him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's sad when that it happens. It is sad, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, this is a really great episode. So we're only halfway through the season. They're going to the artifact next episode. So I feel like, I mean, you, you know, there's previews out there where they're like, they're on the cube. So, how, you know, where are they going? They have five, they're only half done the season. There's five more episodes left and they're they're going to the cube and finding Soji in the next episode. So where do you go from there? Yep. So there's a lot of story left here. Um, I feel like one strength this episode had also was that they didn't, you don't. I don't think you need to. I think they've been doing too much of it. Cutting back to the Borg cube, um, and just showing. Oh, Narek is continuing to seduce Soji. Like it's been three episodes of that. I feel like it's fine to have an episode where we don't cut back there and show their relationship more. Like we get it. You know, like we don't. We're not learning anything more from those scenes. Really, it's just like they flirt, maybe fight a little, and then his sister shows up and says, "Work faster," yeah. and then that's it. It's been like that for three episodes. So I yeah. feel like they don't quite have as as much story there as they hope they did. Yeah, but. Our guys are going to go there next episode, so things will pick things up. will kick into high gear on that part of that part of things. Will Picard be reunited with Hugh? I, I have I to think we're going to see Seven again this season. I feel oh, like, yeah. don't you think? Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I really do. Oh, and we still and like good... we still know we still know Riker and Troy are showing up. So is he gonna is he gonna go back to Earth at some point? And like you wouldn't think he'd go. So I'm assuming they're retired on Earth. Maybe they're retired on Beta Z. Or maybe oh, some other planet. Yeah, like maybe they've go. got a cabin in Alaska where he grew up, or maybe they're on Beta Z. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I kind of feel like when I saw those scenes in the trailers of him with Riker and Troy, I assumed that was like at the beginning. I it's, thought like, so too. He's meeting with them to like see if they'll join his crew or right. to get advice before he goes off on the mission. But is but he, he's going to meet with them. Like he can't meet with them after the mission because with the dialogue in those scenes, Picard is like, "I've got to go do this risky thing," and right. Riker's like, "Uh, you know, what are you doing? The same as yeah, it ever was." So does he come back and regroup and then go off on another crazy mission in the finale? Is it a flashback? Like, Ooh. You think, you think they're going to flashback like he did go and meet? No, because I don't think there's time. Maybe if they were on Earth. But I feel like we followed him pretty linearly from everything that happened we until he do, beamed up to, to Rios' ship. I mean, you could make it work, but I feel like... No, because to hear them tell it, they weren't planning on doing like Data, Seven, Hugh. Those characters were obviously like part of the show from the conception because they're kind right. of... 
They're integral they're in, to the They're inter- integral to the plot, but they were like six, seven episodes in where they're like, you know what we need here? He needs to have a scene with Riker and Troy. Like that's what they weren't planning on bringing them back. They're like, this is what the this is what the story needs. Like, this is where it has to go. Like it, yeah. You know, yeah. we're not, and that's what you want. You don't want them to throw the characters in for fan service. No, you want it to be like needed. You want them to be crucial. Like they could create new characters, but it would make more sense if it was the original. Like if he needs to go, if he's having this some dark night of the soul, and he needs to go get advice from someone, you could have it be another old friend from the Stargazer or whatever, or. Yeah. But who would, who would he go to? He would go to Riker, right? Yeah. So, I so I'm, I'm don't know how they're going to work that in, but I'm obviously I'm looking forward to those scenes. Me and too. Then, you know, still have five episodes left, so yeah, we'll see. Yeah, and and Discovery season three wrapped, wrapped, wrapped oh, shooting yes, this that's week. That's right. Obviously, there's lengthy post production on that, but um, <laughs> but Talk I to but me I don't but I don't know. So oh I so five five more weeks of Picard. I don't. I think if if Discovery was going to start in six weeks. Mm-hmm. We would have heard something by now. We've only gotten one teaser trailer, and that was months ago. Yeah. So I don't think they're going to be able to roll. I don't think we're there yet as far as their grand mission statement of having new Star Trek every week of the year. I think there's going to be a gap of a few months between between Picard and Discovery. Yep. And then maybe Discovery Season 3 will roll directly into Lower Decks, which will roll directly into Picard. Maybe this will be the last gap. But I think we've got at least one more gap before we get... <laughs> we reach the promised land of nonstop Star Trek every week, you know. Yep. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this. It would, it would, so I, I've been talking a lot, but I sounds like you really enjoyed this one too. But would you? Was is this one of your favorite episodes of the season? Oh or? yeah, for sure. I mean, the, there were three on Earth, and then we had last week, mm-hmm. and then with, what was what was? Last I love week? the moments. I, I can't. I can't remember what happened last week. What was? Um, she meets the. Uh, she oh, meets on the Romulan, the Romulan planet. Romulan, on the yeah. Romulan planet. Yeah. Yeah, with the Romulan refugees. Right, right. That one was good too. But yeah, so we had three on Earth, then we had that one, then we had this one. Mm-hmm. Would you put this one up near the top of the? Oh, yeah, definitely. You seem you have trouble great. ranking things sometimes when you really no, enjoy each other. Like, oh, I mean, it's all really good. For me, I really like scenes too. So I mean, for me, I can't remember well, what's. Have I good? Have I, <laughs> I know. Let me huh? introduce you to televisual media. It's <laughs> it's one scene after another. This is great. Nonstop yeah, scenes in order. What? Sometimes. Wow. Not always. No, I know. <laughs> that's that's what makes it fun. This listen, this show started with not one this episode started with not one but two flashbacks before we even caught up to the present. So it's not always in order. That's true. Um but no, I'm I'm saying like there are moments and scenes that I remember and I can't really pinpoint which one took place in what episode. But yeah, I mean last week's episode was seriously really really fun and high quality and I can't wait to see where the series goes. So, I mean that's all my take on it. Mm-hmm. We pretty much said everything that was in my head, so hey. Yep. So if you want to reach out to us, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. On Twitter, we are at smartspodcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website is www.smartspodcast.com. How about a party sound for us? I don't have one. How about... <coughs> <laughs> Very appropriate. 